You're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 49. Today, you're going to learn how to increase your professional value, how to work through imposter syndrome, and how to build the foundations of an executive or personal brand. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are joined by ex-corporate career girl who is now a leadership coach and personal brand expert, and she helps professionals build their executive presence and fast-track their careers. All the way from Australia, Sarah Macris, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What's it like over down under? It's getting warm. It's getting warm. I'm actually heading out onto a houseboat for four days into a lake, and it's going to be 30 degrees every day. So I can't wait. Um, and that's in yeah. and that's in Fahrenheit, right? Because or no Celsius. I don't know. It just sounds a lot warmer than it is here because you said you were going to be on a boat. It's freezing here, so. <laughs> no, it's it's good. And my Christmas tree just arrived. So uh, yeah, it's all it's all nice and warm happening. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're just going to dive right in. How did you get started in the industry? Well, I first started, so when I um, finished school, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I worked in retail for a while and worked my way up there. And then I decided, right, that's it. I, I want to go and do public relations. So I went back and studied and I started off in consumer PR, which I sort of begrudgingly did for about a year or so before I decided that um, I had promoted one too many frozen pizzas. And I thought, <laughs> I can't do this again. Uh, it just wasn't making me um, making me happy. So I started transitioning into more of a corporate space, so still using my public relations skills, but working more in um, issues management and crisis and investor relations and government. And that's where my career was really um, built throughout that um, throughout my career in the corporate world. I loved that. It was lots of travel, and it was always you know I was always glued to my phone, and um, I got to work with really uh, interesting senior executives and CEOs and. Um, directors and so forth so yeah that was that was my um that was sort of how I how I got into it I was really a conscious decision to move away from from consumer PR and move into the corporate side now you mentioned you did crisis PR I did a little bit of PR and I really because I have a broadcasting background and what a lot of people do is if they don't like broadcasting anymore they go into public relations (laughs) because they kind of go hand in hand sort of but then when I found out how much writing was involved for PR and I had to keep writing press releases I quickly realized this is not for me yeah do you know it's so funny you say that because I used to think I was an awful writer, uh, but I but I probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was in my head. And I got um, so, but I realized, you know, when I started in PR, it was just something I had to really do all the time. I had this boss who would scream down the phone if there was a comma missing or um, throw his pen at you in a meeting. So it was also, you know, really, <laughs> it was tough. But you learn really fast how to write really well and um, and do a lot of it. And then I, when I left um, to have children, left um, the communication side. I actually fell in love with writing again and now I love it. So I think, um, yeah, I think it depends on what environment you're in when you're writing. Well, when you did, I just have a quick question about crisis PR because I didn't work on that side of it, but I'm sure, was it just like, I mean, I can only imagine what came across your desk every day and it's like, oh boy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked on things from pet food um, where the dog, dogs were dying to um you know senior leaders being exited from the business from big corporate businesses um but it's also about keeping you out of the media as a big part of your job keeping keeping the story out of out of the um yeah the domain of the journalists and so forth and i know our focus isn't on crisis pr but what is the this is my last question i promise about that but how what is the short version of how you would how a crisis pr team keeps things out of the media uh well there's a lot of um a lot of relationships with journalists and making sure that they uh and a lot of trading trading on trading on stories and um for example you might say look i don't want this in the media 
um, today, but, you know, if you give us 24 hours or you give us 48 hours, we'll get you an interview with this person and they can give you a bit more of the story. So just holding, sometimes it's about holding the story back until you've got the facts and sometimes it's about keeping, trading on different stories for different perspectives. And how many of those stories did you have to do when you realized uh, this is definitely not for me anymore? Well, that part I actually did for a long time in my career. So the crisis stuff was still very much part of the corporate corporate communications. Um, so it was more the PR stuff that I was like, oh no, the the sorry, the consumer PR that that was really that didn't really um, float my boat <laughs> as much. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mind the crisis stuff because it was it was really interesting and it was high pressure and. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always something different coming along and you weren't sort of, you didn't really have to chase the media. The media would chase you with, you know, corporate stuff or you'd have specific, um, you know, um, events such as profits and profit, you know, or a profit downgrade or a profit announcement or so you had a lot of sort of big ticket things that that was naturally of interest to say finance journalists rather than, Mm -hmm. like I said before, (laughs) the frozen pizza. Not that Mm -hmm. many people were interested in it. Yeah. Well, do you remember the day where you were like, okay, uh, I've had all this experience. I've done this. I've done that. I need to kind of do this for myself now. Yeah, definitely. So I, well, I went off and had children. So I um, decided to have kids and I knew pretty much at that point that I wasn't going back to the corporate world and uh, it was just not going to fit with my family. And also it was a, um, so I spent a bit of time thinking, what am I going to do? I've got to find something that I love, something that I can do to help people and also something that is going to fit with my lifestyle and fit with my family goals. So I, I actually started a fashion blog with a friend, which was great because I kind of get, it gave me that, um, the skills and I got to write and I got to continue sort of being, um, learning all the things that I wanted to learn while I was um, on mat leave. And I also started, I actually also went and um, studied fashion design because that was a bit of a bucket list. That was on my bucket list. And then I decided, okay, I think I've had enough of all that. Now I'm going to think, now how can I actually, a bit like the, I suppose it was a bit like the journey I had with the, the consumer PR. I was like, yeah, that's all fun and stuff, but now I want something a bit more serious. So I, um, I thought I started doing a little bit of consulting. I dabbled in that, realised that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And then I decided that I wanted to actually help executives uh, apply all the things that I had done with in my corporate um, life, which was helping people manage their reputations, helping people um, ensure that they sort of had were visible in the industry, but do it for people who were uh, that didn't have the luxury of the organisation. Because what normally happens is people like me were hired by the company to work with the CEO or to work with a managing director. But a lot of people didn't have access to those sorts of, um, um, that sort of help. So I thought I'm going to actually coach people on all of these things so that they can actually reach the next level and reach the CEO role. And um, so now that's what I do. I run a 90-day program with my um, clients and I get to work one-on-one with them and help them reach their potential and, and achieve their goals. Do you remember your who your first client was and how you helped them when you uh, yeah. right after you started consulting? Yeah, one of my um, first clients was had just been made redundant. Uh, she was, and it wasn't a, in a great way. Like it was, so I helped her manage her exit from the company to ensure that she had the same that the right um, that she was leaving on the right note in terms of you know the, the, the that she was in charge of the narrative. And um, because sometimes that can be quite, if you if you if you don't take control of that, you know, other people make up you know make up their own version of what happened. And um, so anyway, we worked through that, and then we looked at okay, where does she want to go? What's her goal? And what makes her different? And um, how do we? And for example, she actually wanted to leave the company, so she was working for a, a sort of a startup, but she had a very senior role. And she decided, I've had enough of this sort of area. I think I really want to go into technology. So she was fascinated by the AI and all of that. So now she's, um, to cut a long story short, she is now working on a board of robotic robotics in Australia. So she mm. was, yeah, so it's really was about sort of identifying what it was that she wanted to be known for and what it was that, what was her story and how do we blend all the experience she'd had, which was quite diverse, and make it a clear story for, for her to be pitched at, at that next level um, industry where she wanted to go so yeah that, that was one of my first clients and very very great person to work with because she actually um, was a real action taker as well 
And does that make you excited as a coach? Because I know coaches and consultants, like we could give all the advice, the roadmaps, the processes to anybody to do, but if they're not go-getters and they don't do the work and they don't put in the work, well, you know what happens after that. Totally. And it's so true. And it's nothing more rewarding, I think, than actually having those breakthrough moments and seeing people sort of go, yeah, that's, oh yeah, great. I'm going to go and do that. And now, and then actually achieve the results. So yeah, it definitely makes it worthwhile. Do a lot of people come to you like not in shambles, but like kind of confused and all over the place. Like, Oh, I want to do this and this and that, but I also want to do this and this. And they're just kind of like all over the place. And you just kind of have to reel them in and be like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and that this way. So it's structured this, this, and that way. Yeah. So I find most people, so I have a few different types of clients. Some might come to me, they've just lost their role, especially during COVID and they're at a very senior level. Some might say, okay, I'm ready for a change and I want a promotion. Uh, so and so we stood, So they start off with a general goal, but what I find happens is as we go through the process, I often get them to do things like, you know, how are you, go out to people and, ha- and find out how do they perceive you and how do, they, um, how do they experience you as a professional in your field? And that's always an interesting sort of thing once you marry that up with your own personal um, character assessment. And to just check if you're actually being authentic and that, that you're actually being the real person that you are. And um, so identifying that. And then I think what, where, the, where often the confusion comes around is what you want to be known for. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, you think, oh, I've got all these skills and I've got all these great things that I, that I can do. But what is the actual things that you really feel passionate about and you want to be known for? And then once you know that, whether you go and, start a business or whether you go and, um, you know, you're attracting clients or you're attracting a new employer, you can be, you can sort of hone, hone in on those, those core competencies. So I find that is probably the area that most people um, spend the most time on really sort of assessing. And you, uh, and I'm also curious, you had mentioned that um, sometimes executives, when they leave a company, whether it's good or bad, and they want to make sure they have the right narrative going into the next job. Yes. How how did... Like, how does that work? Because if the job, like if they're going for a job, they left job A to go to job B, but then job A is saying one story, she's saying the other side of the story to people at job B, but she's like, how do you control the, how do you control the narrative is I guess what I'm trying to say. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my clients are very senior. So they, they have a bit of, um, uh, for, I suppose they know a little bit before they're going to be leaving. Mm -hmm. So what I always suggest to them is to say, okay, you, when, when it comes to announcement time of what, when you're actually announcing that you're leaving and the company's announcing that you're going, and these are obviously, you know, very senior roles and unfortunately not everyone has that luxury. But if you do, then that is at the point where you you um, control the narrative. So you get involved with what that announcement looks like and you get on the forefront in terms of you also send a note out to your, to your stakeholders saying this is where I'm leaving. So, for example, if um, you wanted to say that you were looking for new opportunity, you, you've decided to leave because it's time for X, Y and Z, you know, you, you want to be involved in that announcement rather than letting someone else decide what that story is. And how do they know to call you? Is it word of mouth or it's like, I need to get in touch with the, like they, at that level, they know they need to speak somebody and yeah. speak to somebody in public relations. Yeah, definitely. So I, um, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so I, I do publish a lot of content on there around personal branding, but uh, most of the time it's through word of mouth and um, just also knowing that that's the kind of thing. I think, you know, at that level, a lot of them are, they, you know, they sort of think, okay, they might be told by someone else, you know, that, that might be a good thing to do. And, but also a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't and, and they come to me after that. So we have to work through that as well, um, which, is, which, is, which is fine unless it's been a really awful, awful exit and that, that can be challenging, that one. <laughs> have, you, have you ever taken on something where you were almost questioning because – I'm trying to think how to word this. Like, you know, I, I'm sure tons of stuff comes across your desk and then something comes on. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can spin that one. Did that ever happen to you? Uh, yeah. And I think that's when you just have to be honest. And I, I think mm. you have to be honest always, but um, you have to also position it in the right way. So you can be honest about this is, you know, and I always um, recommend that you be honest in terms of, look, it wasn't the right organization for me. 
Um, you know, it was, it, I've got these goals and they just didn't marry up with my values or my so forth. You know, I think sometimes you just have to be, you have to just state that that's the situation. Yeah. No, that, that, that sounds about right. Cause I, it's actually a lot more simple than you thought. I was like, Oh yeah, just be honest. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, sir. I can't, like, I don't know. I don't know about this one, but um, no, no, that sounds good. You talked about uh, LinkedIn and you do a lot of content on LinkedIn. Would you say LinkedIn is a secret weapon? Oh, absolutely. Especially at the moment. Um, I know that during, for the last six months, they've seen, I was reading a stat the other day and I could be wrong on my numbers, but something around 36% engagement increase in the last six months. And I um, I think another important point on that is that of all the people, so, if, um, you know, if you're looking for a role or, or you're looking to sort of progress in your career or even attract clients, they um, there is 700, and I think in the last stat I read, 720 million people on there. I think about 400 million are active and a big chunk of that, like 60% are in decision-maker roles. So people who can can potentially give you, you know, an opportunity are there and, and involved. And of that, and of all of that, only 1% to 2% are actually generating content. So there's a real opportunity to make your mark in the link, on the LinkedIn space. And you produce video content, correct? Um, I do sometimes. I do a lot of you- live webinars. So... Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say for somebody who's getting on LinkedIn? Uh, what would you say, or does it depend on the person as far as strategy goes for LinkedIn? No, I think, I, I think the way I look at LinkedIn is it's another channel that you can get your message out. So while I think it's a really important channel and I think, uh, you know, you've, it depends on where your, your desired audience is, is hanging out. So if you're an executive, well, LinkedIn has to be your one of your really it's probably your major channel uh, but there's also other channels that you might be using such as uh, live events or um, podcasts or um, um, you know webinars or any anything else that you're involved Twitter you know so there's lots of different channels it's just working out where are your stakeholders spending their time and how how do I you know become front and center and solve their problems through content. And what type of content do you have them create? Is it do, do you kind of find out what their expertise is in or what they feel comfortable doing? Because, you know, with LinkedIn, I know it's a little different, but you can do video, you can do audio, you can do written. Does it do you just have to kind of ask them and figure out where they stand with it? Yeah. And some people really, really hate writing. So videos are fantastic. And others you know, it's the opposite. So, so uh, I'm right there with you. I hate writing. I can't stand it. I'd rather just get on and just start talking. <laughs> fantastic. And LinkedIn loves videos as well. So I, I agree. And a lot of people are in that boat, but then they're scared to get on video. So <laughs> it's about coaching them through, you know, that, that process as well. But it's better to get, I just think it's better to be on what you feel comfortable in because if you start writing and you hate it, then you're not going to keep going on it. And it's not probably not going to be the quality that you would like to put out. So you're better off finding something where you feel like you can give the best um, quality and value. And what do you have them talk about? Does it depend yeah. on which, like if they're a lawyer, are they just going to be talking all law stuff or do you have a mix in some fun in there too? Or just does it really depend on the personality and the brand? Uh, so I start with, I, I, I mean, obviously once they have a goal, it, that helps. So for example, you know, I want to be um, a partner in a law firm and I've got people like that, some of my clients. And then it's about saying, okay, so if you want to be that partner and, and we really need to know sort of what what is it that you want to be known for? So it comes back to that. So I always suggest with my clients to pick two or three things that they really want to be famous for. And then they, they, they peel that back and say, okay, so what is it about those? What, what do I know about that? What are, what are my I'm like earned secrets? What are the things that I um, keep saying to people all the time about these particular topics, people that don't even know, you know, that particular um, industry? And you'll find that there's certain things that you, you regularly say. Like one of my things that I often say is, you know, if you're not visible, you're invisible to the market. Mm. So, you know, things like that that you're regularly saying. And also under that, what are the topics that you've, the things that you can help people with. So it might be things that um, you might, so I I also get them to look at their stakeholders and say, well, what are the problems that my stakeholders sort of have? So is it, you know, if if you work in HR, for example, CEOs might say, how can I maintain, can um, retain great talent? Well, that, and your, say your, one of your content areas is, um, 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 what's it they call it? (laughs) Something around, you know, um, talent discovery or something so you'd start talking about those sorts of things and using that as your content 
well, these are common problems. It might be something like um, these are the learnings I've had. It might be uh, this was my experience doing this and here's how what you can t- take from that. So it's always value-led and sharing your value and your expertise. And so how did they level up their professional value? Uh, so becoming more visible. And um, and I find that, that with, with most of my clients, it's often, um, and it's not even just with my clients, the ones that I talk to every day, but a lot of the time we spend, and I think this happened in COVID for a lot of people, we spend so long doing well in our job and we're great, we do it well and we work hard and then something happens. And whether that's a, a redundancy or whether that's a time when you think, okay, I'm ready for, for a move, but you haven't actually built your profile outside of that organisation. And so you're actually, it's really hard for you to make that jump. As I like to think of it as a bit like career insurance. If you build your visibility, you're going to build your, prof- your profile, your professional value in it as well. So when it comes to you actually taking a jump to the next thing, people already, you've already got that brand equity. You mentioned you've got a lawyer at a law firm. And let's just say he knows everything about the law. He keeps, he's got, you know, a great personality. He's good on camera and he starts doing video tips about law or what people can do to get better at it, pass the bar, whatever. Um, and do some, does it depend on the company, but would some law firms or companies look at that and be like, Hmm, I, I don't know, like he's just too much or like why they, cause I feel like a lot of brands and companies, especially older school ones don't understand the value in building a brand for yourself. So I do think it's, so it starts with industries, obviously some industries are great and some and industries are a little bit old school. You're right. I think with lawyers, they are becoming better because they, um, they're realizing the importance of having a brand to attract clients. But I think also in LinkedIn, they're actually, um, some companies are actually pr- promoting a their, their staff to actually get active and, and actually be advocates for the organisation. So um, I actually think companies are coming around to that. Yeah, because uh, I know it would be something like for somebody like me who's, you know, in the entertainment industry, like it's almost like you have to do it. But they, I just started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, for these like stuffy law firms or like a stockbroker thing, they'd be like, bro. Get back to work and get off your phone. You know, <laughs> I'm sure there are definitely some out there. But I also, when when I have a situation like that, I encourage my clients to start with um, the company website and the company, uh, you know, LinkedIn page. So actually, sort of almost um, becoming a, building their brand around the organisation as well, so that they're actually um, adding value for the organisation. And even though some like some of your clients are experts. Uh, in what they do. And they're, you know, these big time executives, do you find that they run into imposter syndrome at all? Definitely. I am, uh, I, I find it it can be at any level of an organization and it could be at any time in your career that you might face that. So, um, it's definitely something that everybody, um, comes across at some stage and something we all need to sort of be aware of. And it can hit us whenever, you know, when we least expect it, I think. I know I've certainly had that experience myself. I I don't know many people who haven't, so. How did you get over it? Um, I think, and this is where I think it comes back to knowing what you actually um, are really great at and the perspective that you bring, that it's valuable. So once you know that, you know what, I can't be across everything. I'm not an expert in everything. And I don't want to be, I wouldn't, no one could be really. So once you know, look, I'm really good at X and A and B and I back everything in my knowledge and everything I have around those two, two or three areas, that definitely breaks through on the imposter syndrome because suddenly you actually don't feel like you're just a big piece of cheese with holes all over it. Mm-hmm. And do you say something very similar to your clients as well? Because I'm sure, I like I... I'm actually just going through like, um, like going through it as well. And like, it's so weird because I've heard about it for years and it's like, why is everybody like feel like an imposter? That's weird. And then they're like, yeah, you're not alone. Duh. But then when it's like, I felt like I was in the hot seat, it, it, it like, I'm not kidding. Delayed me a few years, which I even hate saying. I'll be honest, this is the first time saying it out loud and it almost makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> yes, it, it definitely. And I think there's the, those times when you do have those um, terror barriers too and pushing through those sometimes is the thing that actually builds that confidence. 
um, I did my first live webinar about three months ago and I was so nervous and so scared. I had 450 people from all around the world absolutely freaking out the night before. Dang! I, I abs- like I um, practiced and, pr- oh, my gosh. And I was, <laughs> I couldn't. Or you could practice all you want, you know, but until you're, when that red light's on, you're like, how what? Yeah. <laughs> with anybody. So anyway, that was really, um, that once I pushed through that fear sort of barrier, uh, it was fine. I've now got one next Tuesday and I've got a few others. And so I, I think that is a real confidence building thing too. Just going through those really scary times and you think, you know, this is going to be so scary, but I'm just going to make myself do it. So what would you say to me if I had come to you and I was like, look, I can do this, right? Or actually, you know what? I'll just tell you what it is. So I came from a on-camera background, like I've been in the broadcasting industry for 10 years at the time of this recording. And um, I was teaching people how to do broadcasting and like being on camera and on-camera confidence. And I quickly realized that is not what I wanted to be teaching because the in that industry, that part of the industry is like, I kind of just grew to hate. And I was like, I can't groom these people to send them into an industry that I just can't, I just can't do it. Like my moral compass was like, nah, so it's like, okay, what can I do? And it's like, okay, well, I know a ton about branding and YouTube and creating content. And it's like, okay, I can do this. But then I've been, I have my, you know, my business mentors and they do that too. So it was like, I felt like an imposter starting to teach this sort of stuff. Cause that's what I'm doing now. And it's held me back for so long. Cause I honestly, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, but I cared what my mentors thought of me. And that just like weighed on me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So you were being, so you were fearing the judgment of people. I was fearing, I was fearing that, well, I felt like I was stepping on toes and then for them, since I invested in them as like my online business mentors and stuff like that, and they're teaching this stuff yes. that they would, they would be like, you know, cause they're all making ridiculous amounts of money and then being like, uh, did you guys see that <laughs> Thomas is teaching YouTube now? What's yeah. he doing? So it's just like, ugh. God, even just saying it out loud. I think it's so normal. I know when I first started producing content myself, I was, you know, there's always those two or three people that you think, oh, my God, I don't want them to see it. And it's, it's almost that that's what holds you back. But once you get over it, it, you realize, oh, my God, that was just a distraction, you know, because I always love that quote that they say, you know, nobody who's doing more than you will judge you, you know, in terms of mm. the, never, they're never the people that will be looking at you saying that they'll be like, fantastic. Wow. Look what I've imparted my knowledge and inspired somebody else. And don't you find it weird how like we get on our own heads, like to say it out loud once again, like this has held me back for years because I was so afraid of them being like, even like I had to kind of post about it and like, okay, I'm taking the leap, but it's just so funny because now that I'm doing it and like, I see that one of the, one of my mentors has definitely seen it. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's actually seen it and like seen what I'm doing, but it was like, you expect like something cataclysmic to happen. Right. And then, you know what, ha- you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It was ridiculous. I'm just like, Oh God. And then you realize what was I, what was I worrying about? And you know, I have this with my, some of my clients as well, or people that I do coach, they say, you know, th- there's that barrier of, I don't want to be creating content. And I always say, look, that first post that you do, no one's going to see. And the second post you see, probably maybe your mum might see it or your neighbour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it just builds and builds. By the time anyone sees it that you're worried about, you'll be so good at this stuff that you won't even care. Oh, man, that, that is a solid piece of advice because it's so funny you say that from that perspective because I tell people that all the time. is like, no one's listening. Yeah. No one's watching. Yep. Yeah, no, that's an interesting little like ad there because, yeah, by the time somebody does see it, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yep, you're running. <laughs> yeah, you're already you're like, oh, right. The chances of them like going back through your catalog of whatever is very slim. But I think like we're, we build it up on our head like, oh, my God, this video is going to go viral and everybody's going to see it. And then when it's posted, you're about to have a heart attack. And then 
you get like two views, you know. I know. Yeah, I, I do. I think I might have a bit of that with YouTube. I keep saying to myself, yeah, I'm going to do YouTube. I'm going to do YouTube. And then I, I think I might need to have my own, um, eat my own advice. <laughs> so what's holding you I'm, now? I'm really curious. What's holding you back from YouTube? Oh, I think that what we just talked about, probably. The, I think that actually, you know what? Technical, the technical side of it does definitely help me. Yeah, yeah YouTube is a beast. Like, I don't think people, cause I know even amongst kids, like the biggest thing people want to be is, or kids want to be as YouTubers, yes. but it's like, I mean, just off the top of my head video, you've got to have, you can, I, I use my phone with some of my videos just to prove a point, Yeah. but you know, you got to have it in focus. You got to have the white balance, right? You got to have the right lighting. The audio has got to be good. Yeah. Assuming you have all those things, you got to be good on camera. Uh, then you have to edit the video, come yeah. up with titles, learn keywords. I'll learn the search engine optimization. We haven't even gotten into thumbnails and photography. It's a beast. There's all the reasons for why. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, I hear you, but didn't know, but I feel like LinkedIn, like you talked about LinkedIn is like a huge, I feel I've seen a couple people do in yeah. LinkedIn and the people that I do see they're I, yeah, like, I'm not judging, but it's like, I've seen, you know, I'm on YouTube, so I see the best of the yeah. best. I haven't, I've only come across, I think one or two people on LinkedIn who are just like crushing it with content. And there's a massive opportunity. I, I I did do one on my phone, um, which was nothing to, nothing to write home about. <laughs> but hmm. uh, it's definitely an area that is growing, and it's something that I I do have in my head thinking yes, I need to do that. I need to do that. But yeah, I, I'm I think yeah, it's a big big opportunity. The, and I always uh, people like la like laugh at cell phone footage. I'm like, do you realize how many viral videos there are? on the internet alone, no matter what platform you're on that are shot with the crappiest angle lighting and audio from a cell shaky cell phone. Like all you need to do is hold it sideways, stand in front of a window and hit go. That's all you got to do. And you're good. <laughs> yeah. See that's yeah. And, and I think that we will see more of that hopefully, but, and I think sometimes people like that authenticity, don't they? I know mm -hmm. there's definitely a move towards people who are more, you know, not the perfect shot. They want to mix a mix of perfect sort of photographed, um, photographed shots, and they want some of you just, you know, looking pretty crap. Sort of. Yeah, like yeah, just like okay, you woke up, and that's yeah. <laughs> kind of how it goes. Yeah, because it's more relatable. But people, and that's you know, I feel like we see that in a lot of whatever platforms. It's a highlight reel. There's only a select few that'll only post, you know the crap content sometimes just to show like, well, I didn't feel like doing this today. So, uh, <laughs> but I got a post. So he go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you, when people, when you go to tell people, you know, to create their content on LinkedIn, is it, have you gotten them to their dream roles before? Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I think, um, we like, I think what, what, it, what the best part about it is that suddenly when you build your brand, you actually start attracting people to you rather than you having to chase a recruiter, chase a job. You, you, it's almost like a double whammy, if you, a double, a, 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 you know, you're getting to double the benefit. So if you say, okay, well, yes, I'm going to go looking for my role, but I'm also doing this work over here on LinkedIn, building my brand. So I'm actually attracting people. People actually are wanting to connect with me because they see now that what I'm doing. So it's, you're actually getting both both benefits rather than just putting all your effort into one area and definitely people get get roles they want and I think they get promotions they get um I mean a board opportunities the more you can tell people about what you do and and, and the value you bring um and what you and and sort of what you're famous for what your what your specialty is the more people actually understand and say okay now I know what they do and whether or not they're the right fit for me to connect with Actually, and yeah, the right connections because sometimes you mm -hmm. random connections you think, hang on, I don't, uh, how, how did you find me? <laughs> I don't really connect with you. So it's, it, it's you've got to be strategic in, in terms of how you want to be positioned. Now, is it a work harder, not smarter, or work smarter, not harder? Or is it like a mixture of both? Um, I think you can, I think it's definitely work, work smarter, but it's just being strategic is probably the most important thing because one of the things that I see is people say, oh, yeah, I post on LinkedIn and that might be I share an article or I 
you know, it, and, and that's not being strategic because that's not actually adding adding to your brand and letting people know what you do. So uh, having a plan because you could be posting every day but have no strategy and nothing, you will not be getting results. Whereas if you have a strategy and you post once a week, you'll get better results. So strat- it sounds like strategy is key. Key, absolutely, yep. And what are some, uh, do you have any other tips to give people who are just starting out who may not know how to start posting, whether, you know, they don't even know what a strategy is. They're literally starting from zero and just kind of like have that deer in headlights look. Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely the, the framework that I use with my clients is it, we start with, you know, what's your goal? So what, you know, and, and it might not be, try and be as clear as possible. So whether it's, I want to be the CEO of this company or I want, you know, try and keep it within say a three to five year plan, three years ideally. And say, okay, well, that's my next role. So what industry is it? And what? So, so you start really kind of honing in and what would that role look like? And who are the people that I'm actually going to be working for? And what problems do they have? And once you sort of un- identify what they are, then start thinking about the content and what you want to be known for. So, for example, so we start with clarity really, which is, you know, how do you articulate the value you bring? So I was, and that's, you know, your pitch statement. Uh, and having a clear statement around, so when someone says to you, how are you, what, you know, what do you do? You can actually say, well, you know, I'm Sarah Macris and I help senior executives build their personal brand so they can accelerate their career. Something really short and sharp that you can use all the time. And then identifying, (coughs) you know, obviously where you want to be. So your message is important. So start with your goal, look at who your audience is, then look at your message and what are the messages that you actually want to um, convey and then where are you showing up? So where are you actually, um, so, so focus on one or two social media um, um, platforms and just focus all your energy on that. Don't try and be everywhere or to everything, but just try and be really consistent and and, be, and add quality and value to your audience. And does that all correlate into getting them to be visible? Definitely. So um, I, I think if you were starting out and you didn't know sort of you know, you were just like, okay, that's it. Uh, I'm just going to start today. Think about your goal and focus on LinkedIn. That would be my two things that you would want to be um, want to be focused on. You'd want to have a clear bio. You want to have an up-to-date photo. You want to start publishing some content and choose two or three things that you want to be known for. Would you have them just focused, like focus on one platform? Like if their audience was on LinkedIn, just do LinkedIn and not try to be on YouTube, LinkedIn, podcast, uh, TikTok, all that good stuff. Get one of them humming first and then go to the next one. And when you can cross pollinate, that's great too, obviously. So if you did do YouTube and you said, you know what, my audience, the people that I want to target are on YouTube. So you spend all your time on YouTube. Once you've got that sorted and humming, that's when you'd use your clips and pop them on LinkedIn. You can still do that. That's quite easy. But then you'd probably build your, sorry, you would probably want to share that as well. Have you or any of your clients made the jump to TikTok yet? (laughs) Um, You know, my son is on TikTok and has been for ages. He's got like three and a half, well, maybe 4,000 followers, which I laugh at. There you go. Um, so, um, I love to look at, he loves to show me videos, but no, I actually, (laughs) it's not my audience. Um, but I do know people are on there. So I'm guessing it's going to have to be at some stage, but yeah, I haven't really given it a go yet. Believe it or not. I'm telling you, I swear I have never learned so many life hacks in my entire life on an app. So I'm saying like your audience may be on there too. I'm just saying. I've always avoided it because I'm not really much of a dancer. So, so I'm glad you said that everybody thinks that's because that's what it started off as, yeah. but I'm telling like, I, I, I cannot tell you how many things I have learned from the hole in your frying pan is for your spoon. It's not to hang stuff or that you need to clean your washer every six months and how to take off the bottom part and squeegee that out. Like you've got home builder inspection people who are on roofs getting stuck on roofs because their ladder fell. Like you, I feel like you fit right in there somewhere. I don't know. I'm going to find an expert to, to help me with that one then because that is um not something I'm an expert in TikTok but yeah. well it, it sounds like it sounds like you might have to have a sit down with your son and be like hey <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
Map out the content here. Yeah, that's not good. No, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is an interesting one, TikTok. But then they've got the Instagram Reels too. I haven't really embraced those either yet. So, mm-hmm. well, it's and what I see a lot about those people are repurposing. So you could easily film a TikTok and then download it to your phone and then re-upload it to a Reel. Mm-hmm. And Reels is the same thing as TikTok. They're just you know Instagram's just trying to get their hand in the pot, you know? Yeah. And I feel like people are definitely going on those Instagram reels. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that's great with creative content, but I, it's definitely something that is definitely, I mean, look, you know what, LinkedIn, I mean, Instagram, we thought was for children or, you know, ages ago, didn't we? Now everybody's on it. Um, so yeah, I can, I can see that. <laughs> and, re- and real quick, do you, uh, do you give your son unsolicited branding advice for his TikTok? <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, Occasionally, occasionally, but he likes to tell me that he doesn't need my advice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we have a little clash there, uh, but yeah. he, he also dabbles in a bit of YouTube too. So um, I, I yeah. keep telling him you need hashtags. You do need hashtags, yeah. For YouTube, yeah, uh, you can. Uh, I haven't. I, I. I. don't. I'll be honest. I don't use them. Um, but I've seen them in videos, and I'm sure it helps with like uh, locate. I think it all depends what you want to do. Like especially if you're in Australia, yeah. uh, it would it would definitely help. Um, I try and help him with headings, but he again he he he's at that ooh. age he doesn't think mums really you know. <laughs> do, and you're talking about headlines, right? Like that first line or yeah. like whatever, like the name of the video. Yeah. Those are the most, I would argue those are the most important that you know this, of course, you know this. I said to him, but he was like, no, no, <laughs> eventually get him there. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I listened to my mom that much when I was that age. Yeah. Do, um, do you remember the last headline that he wanted to ask what he asked you about and you knew that it was it could be you know obviously finesse the way you would want it to and that would probably attract a lot more viewers totally it was um on Fortnite. it was some uh, some they do these dance things on um yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. can't think of the name of them and he uploaded some to youtube and i said you have to say something like you know the best somethings from <laughs> from Fortnite of 2020 or you know you have to be like yeah Anyway, and he was he was like, oh, okay. So he started to do that now, but yeah. Yeah, he he just write like you know that, you know Fortnite dance two. Yeah, he was just like no, the world's greatest or the last one you'll have to see or you'll never believe this dance. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I that's what I've been um yeah because ultimately there it's it's all the same in terms of we're trying to get people interested in what we're doing and um. Yeah, so I, I, I think he he will slowly get to get to appreciate maybe how I can help him. I would, uh, I would like if he only knew how valuable that was. Like to have somebody of your expertise in his corner. Yeah, but it was funny what you said before about kids all want to be YouTubers. That's so true. YouTubers and gamers. Yeah, no, and it, and and I tell people not to sleep on that because, like, you know, I've been in media long enough where you know parents don't want their kids playing video games because they're violent and stuff. Which I which I get, I get. However, um, esports players are paid athlete, like they are paid like athletes. We are talking million dollar contracts. Like I'm sure with Fortnite, I'm sure you've heard of a guy called Ninja. Who's the largest Twitch streamer in the world with the blue hair. Like that guy, I mean, he's done, he just, I guess they had him switch to another company. That's not Twitch for like 30 million. And then that company went under, he still got to keep the 30 million. Now he's back where he started. He's like, it's it's all fun and games until they're making you know fu money you know no I, look I agree I've I've always had the view that that is their world you know these kids of today as well that that you know yes you have to be careful of certain content and stuff but it is their world that's what they've grown up in and I think uh, if they have a passion for something then they should go for it so. And do you deal with I know you deal with more executives but do you deal with uh, younger clients as well? Yeah, I, I find. It's not so much the age, it's the ambition and the, um, the drive. And also, you know, you can have, I've got clients who are 32 who are C-suites 
or who are, you know, have that goal and in mind and that is, that is, you know, that they are committed to it. So, yeah, I definitely deal with different. And it's different because I think 30, so my clients who are on that 30-year age group are much more comfortable with putting themselves out there because that's the world they've grown up in uh, where they, you know, they have their Instagram, the Facebook, you know, they've probably been on Facebook since they were three, their mum put them on there or, you know. Um, so there's sort of that that kind of view. And then there's my older clients who are really uncomfortable with it in some cases. So there's differences, but they ultimately follow the same process and they get, you know, get results. And what, uh, with, the, with the, I know age isn't like a huge thing or whatever, but you're saying you do deal with younger clients. What type of positions and, and or excuse me, what type of industries are they working in and coming to you about? So I find um, the tech industry is huge in terms of lots of people want to work in that industry and there's not a lot of uh, people haven't worked in that industry for years and years and years. So nobody's really, uh, you can be an expert in something in the, within the last couple of years, you could have just been working in that space because everything's changing so much and um, so there's opportunity there. So definitely uh, um, technology. I work with a lot of people in the finance industry, also uh, retail industry, law uh, so those sort of, they're my main buckets, but I, I'm hoping that um, also now once aviation gets up on the, gets up again, I think there'll be a, a bit of an uptake in that space as well, but definitely, definitely technology, whether it's marketing technology, finance technology, it's such an exciting industry. And what type of content uh, are they creating? Yeah. So it depends again, what they want to be known for, but some are focused on things such as, um, um, you know, consumer uh, customer experience, so they call it CX, I think it is, uh, customer experience. There's others that are focused on um, um, AI, uh, robotics, um, um, you know, the experience, how, how uh, sort of the digital experience. Even so, so technology obviously crosses so many different industries. So depending on what the industry they're in, for example, if it's retail, you know, the digital experience for a customer and how to make it better or what's the number one thing customers hate when they're, when they're um you know, um, buying from you online or those sorts of things. So it just, just depends, you know, the industry and slash the, the subcategory that they work in. Well, you just said robotics and that stood out to me. It's like, oh my God, you could create so much content with that. And people are fascinated by it, even if they're not in your industry. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and everyone wants to. Um, I think the other thing is too, there's a lot of people out there in other industries saying, well, I wouldn't mind trying that in my industry, you know. So if say they work in retail, they might want to, you know, they'd be interested in that. So, yeah. Excuse me. Please. Bless you. <laughs> no. And now we've talked a lot about, you know, your clients and everything. I'm just curious. I always, I'm so curious on why people do what they do. What is your why for what you do? Uh, I really like to help people and I like to help people find that that extra bit of confidence in in their life and um, the thing I most enjoy is when I work with somebody and help them see that there's that there's um that there there's opportunity outside of the box that they've put themselves in and that sometimes it's just about doing something in a different way and it's not about getting another degree or it's not about doing something you've done every other time it's about finding that inner sort of passion and, um, and helping them get out there. I think I'm a very hopeful person. I always like to bring hope to people. Is there a testimonial or a client you worked with that stands out to you, which, you know, when they either got their dream job or, you know, whether they accomplished the goal that it just, it just really kind of hit home for you? Yeah. Um, I, I love it when I hear my, a lot of the things that come back from my clients is how I've made, make them feel very relaxed and comfortable straight away. And that they can share with me what, their their ambitions are and and also just realize watching them um see their potential that if they did something different that they can actually achieve it and and getting that message saying you know I didn't think I could do this but I I have and now I'm so excited because now I'm seeing people actually responding to me and someone's attract you know someone's actually reached out to me about this particular topic you know I think that that to me is the most rewarding that's awesome. Well, Sarah, I could keep talking to you about branding and LinkedIn and all sorts of crazy PR stories and TikTok all day. Um, but if so, real quick, last question, if somebody came up to you and was like, Hey, I want to get started on, cause I know uh, I want to get started on LinkedIn and I want this actual job, but I really don't know what to do. Yep. What would be 
and you had, like I said, and you were just like kind of passing by them, it's like a walk and talk situation. What is the quickest, best advice you would give them? I would say write out the ten, so write out ten companies that you want to be working for. Reach out to those people. Have an interview. When I say interview, an, an informational interview. What is it that you do? Find out what they do and what the experiences are at that company. Do not ask for a job at all. Uh, have a 15-minute conversation, connect with them, follow the companies that you want to work for, make sure you've got an absolute, um, you know, fantastic bio that that's, talks about what you offer and the value that you bring and um, make sure that you've got an up-to-date photo as well and generate content. <laughs> Azave, where can we find you online? So um, I'm at sarahmacris.com.au for the Australia. And I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Sarah Macris, and I'm on Instagram at Sarah Macris Australia. And maybe one day on TikTok. <laughs> TikTok and YouTube coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> one day. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I seriously appreciate it. Thanks, Thomas. It was great having a chat to you. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. If you would just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.